Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavonston, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count. Well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history, all six volumes of it, of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest comic, excuse me, greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. Yeah, and if you want to hear all of our oldest episodes, including some tremendous interviews with industry legends like Mark Bagley, JMD, and Ron Friends, be sure to check out our new podcast feed, Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues. What's new? Right on, Dan. But today on the show, you and I are going to be talking Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 2. This issue was written by Zeb Wells with an interior and cover art featuring pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcio Menez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. This issue was first released on May 25th, 2022. All right, I'm going to hit you guys up with a summary. So here we go. The best couple in comics is done? You aren't going to believe what is happening in this volume of Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, wait, (laughs) you mean MJ, who is on the cover and featured in this solicitation for this issue, isn't even in the comic? (laughs) Really? No, 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 that must be a mistake. They wouldn't... Oh, oh, they they would. Uh, Okay, then. Well, let's see what's actually in this book. Answering a knock on the door, believing it to be a debt collector, Peter is surprised to discover Norman Osborn. Norman kind of forces his way into Peter's messy apartment and says that he has a job that Peter must take. He alludes to helping Peter in the past, perhaps with whatever Peter did to land himself in his current predicament. Peter seems reluctant, especially given their history, but agrees to help. Arriving late, Peter discovers that he's been tasked with babysitting Normie and Stanley Osborn. What a shock! Stanley exists and was remembered by the Spider Office. (laughs) 
But do they remember that Normie knows that Peter is Spider-Man and that he's currently wearing a symbiote in the pages of Venom? Probably not. Janice goes to check on her father, Tombstone, after his mansion got blown up by the Rose. Tombstone asks her not to interfere in, in his gang war, suggesting that he's going to have to revert to an earlier, more violent version of himself. He then takes pliers and uses them to resharpen his teeth. Peter returns Normie and Stanley to Liz and suits up as Spider-Man, only to find pud a cup of pudding hidden in his mask. In Harlem, we see White Rabbit and Kareem loading up gear from Mysterio, the Vulture, and Electro into a car when Spider-Man bursts in. Kareem refuses to shoot Spider-Man after he saved his life in the previous issue, and Spider-Man interrogates White Rabbit to give up Tombstone's location. After Spidey leaves, White Rabbit reveals that she lied to Spidey. On the Upper East Side, Crime Master returns to his office after supplying both sides of the gang war with weapons. Tombstone surprises him and massacres his men. Spidey arrives and attacks Tombstone, but Tombstone win wins him and traps him in a truck with an enclosing space cabin. Spider-Man tries to overpower Tombstone but is unsuccessful and passes out. The driver of the truck pulls into a Harlem warehouse where White Rabbit closes the door and finishes the trap she set for Spider-Man. All right, so Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 2, was issue one a fluke? We like that issue a good deal. Mark, what do you think about this issue? I thought this was a solid continuation of what we got. I mean, you know, I, I, I do think that before we get too much into the nuts and bolts of this issue, it is worth talking a bit about the misleading cover and solicitation uh, of this book. I mean, you know, I remember when this solicit was dropped a few months ago, this cover in particular inspired a lot of rage on the, on the internet, especially in the <laughs> Peter and MJ should be married camp of readers because of the kindred. Oh my line? goodness. You're still doing this. You're still doing this. He's still doing it folks. He's still talking about the kindred of it all. Yeah, because of the kindred centipede, but also, you know, the 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 the, the Peter and MJ very, looking very sad part of it. Now, granted that that might have been very appropriate for issue one. I mean, maybe this was a, a, a rejected variant cover for issue one. I don't know, Dan, but I mean, talk about a master troll here or or just a, a mistake. <laughs> I mean, y y with this spider office, it could be either. <laughs> Yeah, it's really it's really hard to say. I mean, there's a couple of things that contribute here, which is like this isn't the first mis like completely misleading cover we've gotten. I mean, this feels like truly unique in that like what it's misleading with, especially in the write up of it, where it says like the the bit greatest couple in comics is over, and then to not feature MJ at all in the issue or that topic at all. It, I can't think of a bigger thing to maybe like swerve on, you know, if, if we want to call it a swerve. My suspicion is that like that when this story was being constructed like a year ago, they, you know, had JRJR do these mock up covers and ultimately things got shifted around and the story no longer matched. But then like, I don't know why you would solicit it this way other than to get people worked up or try to like goose sales on this issue a bit. Like I think you could have sold this as a variant cover for issue one and it would have sold pretty well on a plus, you know, an expensive issue and maybe recouped your cost 
enough to maybe hire JRJR to do another cover for this. I mean, the guy is busy, but I don't think he's so busy that he couldn't like mock up Tombstone, you know, punching Spider-Man. Although I guess we get that for the next two covers. So, you know, maybe the calculation was the next two covers are Tombstone oriented. We can do something more thematic here. But I, I I don't know how much I feel about that. You know, and then there's the other whole other thing about the printing issues with this. Mark, you had a kind of personal experience with this. You know, in addition, obviously, I mean, we all had this book delayed for us by a couple of weeks. But, you know, I got a, an email from my local comic book shop a couple of days before this release, basically apologizing that about half the pages of the book, the colors are all washed out. You know, like, I mean, they, they were like, it's in some pages, it's unreadable. I, I looked at it. It's not great, but it's readable. I, I picked myself up a, a variant cover, which is a, which is fine. Drops $30 for it though, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> but yeah, I mean like they, they, but they made it sound like every single issue that was delivered to this store had this problem, this printing problem, and that there was no word from Marvel about correcting it. So I don't know what the heck's going on in Marvel's publishing side right now, but it doesn't sound great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to say truly where like the fault on something like that lies, because you'll remember like six months ago, I got an issue that had like duplicate pages on the interior. And I went to multiple comic shops that all had the same thing until I like left my distinct area in L.A., and found like what must have been like another batch uh, off the printer that were printed correctly. So it seems like the printer seems to be fairly uneven. And I don't know if that's related to the print delays on this, which like there's rumors going around that Marvel is having kind of like a line wide printing problem, perhaps related to you know, shipping in the country and, and all of the kind of like inflation related troubles that we're having post COVID, you know, and a lot of books have been delayed. Like issue 900 got delayed about a month now. So everything is kind of backed up, you know, outside of that, Mark, we've waited a month for this issue, which is probably the longest we've waited for an issue in quite some time. How did that feel for you? Cause I, I got to admit, I reread issue one a bunch of times in that time and it got me really excited and hopeful for issue two. And Issue two came and I read it multiple times. Like I, I, I actually kind of appreciated the break and like, you know, the absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said after, oh man. I mean, how many years of just kind of nonstop, like the faucet is just pouring water out at us kind of content to just have time to sit and digest and, and anticipate the next issue for a few weeks rather than you know, going one to the next, the next, to the next. I mean, you know, I mean, the bad side of it was you and I didn't get to talk as soon as we usually do. Uh, but, but, you know, like, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if absence made the heart grow fonder, but like, I don't know, like, it's funny. I was having this conversation with my wife last night or a couple nights ago related to TV and, you know, Stranger Things versus Obi-Wan, which is, you know, Stranger Things is all at once and Obi-Wan is, you know, well, it's two episodes to start, but, you know, one episode at a time. And it's like, I don't know, like, I kind of hate the binge model now. And I felt that way about the comics for a point, especially during the Beyond era, where it felt like we were getting something new every week. It just felt like too much. 
frankly, during the Clone Saga, that weekly saga kind of got to be too much for me. I mean, so I don't mind having a couple of weeks in between if they're going to keep pushing the story forward as they do here. And I hope they, they allowed that to like, you know, I don't know how much this impacts Zeb and, and JRJR's process. If it means giving them more time to really like make sure their stuff is is all lined up, then then great. I mean, that kind of bridges us over to this issue. Like I, I thought that this was very consistent with the first issue, which is to say like all the things I liked about the first issue were were here in a much shorter issue. I still felt like we it was a nice chapter in the story. Like uh, one of the things I'm appreciating about this is just the pacing. I, I think the pacing of these issues has been really stellar. Like I can feel it ramping up like in everything feels like it's not running out of time. Like it, it, each issue has kind of felt like it has enough room to breathe and, and do what it wants to do. It's it's scope isn't too big. It's not too small. Uh, I, honestly, like if, if this is the consistency we're expecting, I, I feel very bullish about this run. Yeah, I, I would mostly agree with that. I mean, I feel like for the most part, like not a ton happens from a exposition plot standpoint, but like, you know, we, we obviously we, we, we move the gang war and tombstone forward and we're continuing to get bits and pieces of what is going on with Peter, but like not, not so not so much or so little that it's becoming a distraction right now. I mean, like I got a little put off by the the Norman Osborne of it all in the very beginning, but I feel like we kind of recovered with that and then also used that as an opportunity to insert some humor into the book. Like, you know, Peter complaining about putting in his mask, I thought was a, was a really inspired joke given, you know, the, 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 the traits of the character and the situation he was in there. I, I kind of appreciated that it's Peter is still very clearly down on his luck here, but I feel like they weren't beating us over the head with everybody in his life hates him. I mean, it's we, we've established that and we're just kind of moving within that status quo and not beating it to death. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's well paced, even if I don't feel like a ton happens, if that makes sense. I mean, I think for me also, it's kind of like a, there's a mastery of tone here. Like when this book wants to be funny, it's funny. When it wants to be scary and thrilling, it is scary and thrilling. And it weaves between those things really quite expertly. And I think a lot of that has to do with just kind of like ratcheting down the stakes a bit, you know, like this is a street level Spider-Man thing. And so like all of those elements feel very at place, but like reading a page where Spider-Man is complaining about pudding in his mask, which I thought was a really funny page of setting up the pudding thing and then having it pay off by the bottom of the page and then turning it to the page with Tombstone sharpening his teeth, which was really kind of chilling. And to me, it was a it was really excellent tonal stuff. And I'm sure that's some special kismet between JRJR and Zeb Wells, like allowing each other to create that feeling. Nevertheless, it was there. And I got you know soaked up in the drama of it. And like I said, not just because of the time we've had between these issues, but I'm really enjoying the characters and spending time with them. And I reread this issue three times this week. And normally I reread stuff for the show, but I don't find myself like just reopening it and going back through it again. And it's not like I'm looking for something. I'm just enjoying it. You know, for whatever that's worth, uh, th that's been a kind of nice surprise for me. 
Dan, why don't why don't we take a, a, a quick break from the review and, and talk a little bit about the Slack? Well, hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, I hang out there all the time. This week in the Slack, you know, we've been introduced to these new characters, Paul and Kareem, and I know they don't know each other, at least not yet in the pages of these comics, but like already we're starting to ship Paul and Kareem in the Slack. Like everybody's all about these new Paul and Kareem characters. Yes, one of them is a bad guy on the on, on White Rabbit's team, and another one is dating MJ. But like you know, like break up MJ and Paul. Let's get Paul and Kareem together. That's the new star couple. So if you're a part of the Paul and Kareem shippers and you didn't even know it, come join us in the Slack. You can click on the link in the description to this episode. It'll take you right there and you can chat it up with us. I swear we're not always this weird, but you know, sometimes you just see something and you got to make it happen. In this case, it's Paul Ream. That's their new, that's their new couple name, Mark. Paul Ream. Let's do it. Cheers to Paul Ream. You got it. Okay. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about discomfort. Let's talk about Tombstone, who is, kind of becoming like a like a co-star of this first run. I mean, we're getting a lot of pages devoted to him, which like certainly I'm I'm um I I'm, I'm not scoffing at. I will say though, Mark, and I I curious your response to this. It does feel like a little bit too soon. Like I'm loving this, but I kind of feel like we got a lot of these tombstone beats back in the Spencer run. I know some people are trying to forget that run happened, but like I liked some of the tombstone stuff there and maybe this is building on it, but it does feel weird to be kind of like so quickly coming right back to this again. You know, tombstone certainly is, is an interesting character. I mean, I, I, I gotta be honest. I think part of what works for tombstone is that Jerry Conway, when he created him, did such a great job telling his story and telling a really compelling narrative with him and, and Robbie Robertson, frankly, I think a lot of Tombstone's usage since then has been kind of, you know, I don't want to say he's just a guy, but like, I don't know, like he's not, you know, he's not Kingpin. He's not, you know, he doesn't have a unique power set like Hammerhead or Mr. Negative. It's just kind of like, oh, he's another street level guy and he's big and scary. Kind of seeing so much page time devoted to him you know, this, the stories are good, so I don't mind, but there's something missing from Tombstone when it's not the Jerry Conway version of it with the dynamic with Robbie. I, I got to be honest with you. So, I mean, like, it's fine, but, you know, I don't know if I'm, like, totally digging the character the way I think the current, like, spider office wants me to. Does that make sense? <laughs> I think the arc is kind of like neat. Like I I just got done complaining that it might be too soon, but I do love the scene here with him and Janice where he's like, look, you're about to see someone that's not your dad. And I think we're about to get the return or at least the end of this comic starts to bring him back the return of the Jerry Conway style tombstone. And maybe it needs Robbie to kind of like make that completely sing. But like, I did appreciate his brutality at the end here, like just taking down the crime master in such a and his and his thugs in such a brutal way, and then like choking out Spider Man. 
it does present him as like a threat that maybe he hasn't really been more than he's been kind of like a mob boss here. He's getting his like hands dirty. And I, I do appreciate that. Uh, the bright, the fights in here are brutal. Like they really do feel brutal. You know, JRJR does really sell the scariness uh, of tombstone. I mean, the filing off of the teeth that were $2,000 a pop to me was just like an, uh, an incredible page of comic, like seeing him in the bathroom with the pliers, like it kind of gave me chills. Like what kind of guy would do this? Yeah. And, and and in terms of his interactions with Spider-Man, I mean, I, I, I think they did a good job of setting it up where, you know, like, cause you know, in, in a, in a fair fight, if you will, I mean, Spider-Man, even with Tombstone's strength, Spider-Man should be able to kind of mop the floor with them, you know, in these kind of like unique situations and, and you know, Spider-Man kind of coming into this weakened and betrayed and, and, you know, kind of, you know, not sure who we can trust. It allows, you know, creates openings for Tombstone to kind of get one over on him in a believable way where like, you know, the way this ends with a cliffhanger, not that I think Spider-Man's dead or that the threat's real there, but like, you know, like it's, 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 it's believable enough where these situations can be precarious, you know, like I don't feel like it's a major stretch here. It does feel kind of like a Ditko era Spider-Man threat. You know, like where the powers maybe oscillate a bit in in just how strong he is. But like, I don't really complain about that. I don't, I don't think I've ever, I don't really love the like Spider-Man that can lift 10 tons over his head and like has no problem lifting a car. I, I'm OK with him struggling a bit here. And, you know, the white rabbit twist wasn't like a huge twist, you know, in that like she tips us off and. All of that. And I don't know how much Spider-Man would like necessarily believe her, but like that interaction with White Rabbit and Kareem was a lot of fun. And even Kareem remembering that Spider-Man saved him, like suggests like, oh, this is a real character and and not just like any other thug. And I, I, I value that. Like there's a reason people are shipping Paul Ream, you know, because there it, this guy feels like a, like someone that we should invest it with. Uh, in a little bit. Uh, my next note here is about Peter's relationship with Norman. And, you know, we got these solicits uh, uh, of Norman in upcoming issues, building Spider-Man, a, a new suit. And I think the immediate reaction of the internet was, Oh my God, Peter would never work with Norman. Even if he knows he's good, like this gets the guy that killed Gwen, you know, similar to this kind of fleshing out of characters. I actually thought there was a lot of nuance in the conversation that Peter had with Norman, which is to say he doesn't really trust him. Like this, this Norman to me read like classic Norman and, and, and like just with like his moral compass adjusted slightly and someone who could very easily go off the handle again. And I appreciated that. Like, he's like aware of his faults. He's like idle hands are not good on me. I don't know. Like there was some menace brought back here that kind of like disappeared in the final issues of Spencer's run. Do you agree with that? I, yeah, there's a menace, but also like, I think that there's clearly, and you know, this kind of plays back into the mystery box angle again, you know, Peter is clearly indebted to Norman somehow, you know, like even in the initial scene here where Norman is like, you know, I have, I have a favor for you. And, 
you know, I have a favor you need to do for me. And Peter's kind of like, I, you know, what, what, you know, what, what, why would I help you? And then he's like, what's the job? It's like, you know, so like kind of seeing that power dynamic where, you know, like it, 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 it kind of indicates, first of all, like whatever Peter did with or for or whatever with Norman, it probably wasn't good, but it, but he was probably a very willing person because like, you know, I, I, I don't, he, he, the, 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 the debt feels real and sincere and not necessarily like guilt ridden. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I could be overreading it here, you know, but then, and then, but then that does bring me back to the whole like mystery box angle, which we talked about in issue one, which is like, you know, like the frustration remains um, with that with me. I mean, you know, like I, I <laughs> it's like, I'm just like, just show me, just, just tell me what's going on, <laughs> and then, which I know is not the point, but, but it's like, okay. I mean, you know, because it, it does kind of get people overthinking, I think a little bit and, and, you know, maybe, maybe the solution is not as involved as we think it's going to be. I don't know. <laughs> I just hope that the solution is one that isn't just being held withheld from us just because, but that there's like a good storytelling reason to have kept it from us. You know what I mean? Like, cause right now it doesn't really bother me. I think as much as it does you and because like the, the core story, it's not overtaking the core story, right? It's not pulling a kindred where like the quality of this story is really dependent on me knowing what's going on here. Like there's a whole other story going on that I'm much more caught up in at, at the moment. And I think in that way, this issue works better than issue one because it's not so focused on that. Like it's just doing a normal Spider-Man story. And there happens to be this like mystery, maybe circulating in the background. Yeah. I just hope that when it's all over, it's like, okay, you had a good reason for, for telling it this way. Cause otherwise like, just start the runoff with that story and then allow us to see the fallout here. Right now, I'm still wavering on how I'm sold about it, but it didn't bother me in this issue because like the tombstone thing has got a life of its own. I was happy to see Stanley acknowledged in whatever form that is, although I remain annoyed that Normie found out that Peter is Spider-Man off panel. And here, that doesn't even seem to be like acknowledged, like... I don't really know how we go back to the old dynamic where Normie knows that, but okay, sure, sure. There you go. Uh, do you want to give this thing a grade? Yeah, I'm giving this one a B plus. I'm gonna give it a B. I mean, I'm 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 close to B plus, but just not quite all the way there. But this was this is another solid issue. I I I so far, I liking what this run is is bringing forward. Well, that's our review of Amazing Spider-Man Volume Six. Number two, a nice short one, because not a lot to say about this one. <laughs> it happens. But uh, if you do find the show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. Recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend. And if you're able, become a member on our Patreon. Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. And we are constantly making exclusive content for our members. Yeah, so why not take $3.99, the price of a new comic, and put it towards a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcasts on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the very same week they come out instead of waiting for them to arrive in our public podcast feed a few weeks later. And if you contribute $10 a month, 
you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. We've recently commissioned Juan Ferreira to depict a black suit Spider-Man and Daredevil to help memorialize our transition into the Peter David era of spectacular Spider-Man. Plus, every episode we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. Yeah, but we do know that it's a hard time for everybody, as it is for us too, so we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing us with their friends or fellow comic book readers. But if you do have the means, please consider joining our Patreon to support our continued existence, you know, just kind of to help out the show, continue doing what it's doing. Um, just follow the link in the description. And again, a thank you to all the members who already make our show possible. Yeah, but it's that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. As always, our episode was edited by our awesome editor, Rick Coast. We get production support from our friend Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted, and we are so lucky to get these people making artwork for us. Artists Ron Friends, Sal Busama, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. Our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton from the Panels to Pixels YouTube channel. So, Mark, until we file our teeth down to points and scare off our wives once and for all, What's our motto? Of course it is. With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.